Well, hello, fellow constitutionalists, and welcome to the Dan Clements Show, a Christian political talk show. I'm your host, Dan Clements, your constitutional warrior, fighting for your right just to be an American. Today, we're going to be talking about reparations. There's an article out that I'll share with you from California. It's about it's from BizPack Review about what's going on out in California, how the how they're wanting to give everybody reparations out there and and how how much money no one really knows how much money it's going to cost they, they really don't know how much it's going to cost and it's just it, it's ridiculous it really it really is uh i i've been listening to to the argument for reparations for uh probably as long as i've been alive I'm, 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 I'll be 61 this year. And, uh, honestly, folks, it's just, it's been going on and on and on and on. And I have a few questions. One, California as of, um, oh, it was, uh, February of 2022 was the latest figure I could find, uh, between the state and local governments, uh, we're talking about state, county, city, uh, the whole state is like $1.6 trillion in debt. I mean, that's a huge amount for a state, okay? I mean, it's way over what their, their gross domestic product is. And they want to add on top of this. Uh, now, some of this is going to be, you know, out of their pockets, out of, out of new taxes they're going to create, but then they want the federal government to kick in some money too, uh, or at least use federal funds that they have on hand. Um, we'll read a little bit in the article here. As, as usual, or as always, the, um, the, in the show notes are down in the uh, comment sections. You can link, you know, I got links to all these articles here. Well, my question is, how do we determine who gets to represent rep, reparations in the first place? This has been an ongoing argument. And this is, I think this is one of the first things that need to be settled besides uh, are reparations, should they be paid? Okay. Well, my humble opinion, they should have been paid to the, that generation who it was owed to. Now there was uh, there was something in the um, uh, it was called. Let me get down here. It's called Special Order Field Order Number Fifteen that uh, Sherman had uh, that in North Car or South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida they were given so many, you know, uh, so much acreage and it, it figured out to be like 40 acres and a mule, uh, to all the, uh, the slaves that came with them as he marched, you know, on his march to Atlanta and, you know, they wanted protection and everything. And so the, the government granted this, um, however, in the midst of all this, once the war was over and the states were allowed to pick their own governments and stuff, the, the, the state governments, local governments, uh, reneged on this whole thing and, you know, took the land away from uh, the former slaves. So you have, you have that, okay? You have three states that were involved in that. Um, can anyone prove that they're descendants of slaves? I mean, I know there are people out there that can do that, but how many people today do we have in the United States of America that are from uh, African descent uh, can prove that their families were part of the slave movement? Because, you know, folks, there was a lot of, uh, of black folks, Africans, 
living in, you know, folks from Africa living in the Union. Uh, they fought for the Union. Um, so there was a lot of folks there. Um, there's been, since the Civil War, there's been a lot of immigrants that came from other countries uh, that are from that are, that are of African descent. Um, so how do you untangle that knot? And here's even a better knot for you here, folks. How about the descendants of, of the black slave owners? There were black slave owners here in the United States. Do we separate them out and say, no, you don't get some of them reparations because your ancestors actually owned slaves? So there's a huge knot right there. Um, and, and the other question here, who's going to pay for the reparations? You know, some say the government should pay. Okay, let's go with that for a second. But which government? <laughs> which government? The union was opposed to slavery. So should the union should the union pay? What we what we know is the United States today. Should they pay? And the Confederate states are the ones who supported the practice of slavery, but they're no longer in existence. <laughs> so which government should pay? I think that's a very, very important question. Should families like mine have their tax dollars go to reparations, even though we didn't immigrate here until after slavery was abolished here in the United States, after the Civil War? Should we? I, I, honestly, I don't think we should. So you gotta, you got to sort of separate all that out. Some say it's a biblical and cite passages and verses that support reparations. They cite verses out of Exodus, Leviticus, Luke, and Ezra. But I'm gonna we're gonna talk about that real quick. But do these verses teach reparations or are the supporters of these verses reading into God's word? And I, I'm gonna tell you right now, I believe they're reading into God's word. So to be sure the subject needs to be debated. Okay, we need to get this put behind us once and for all. That's what I mean by debate. Um However, the debate needs to be honest and unemotional if we're ever to put the subject to rest any other or one way or the other. Now, I have three video clips I want to share with you, um, and I'm, I'm going to take these uh, in order. Uh, I have a, um, and this is, I really like this, this first one here. Um, it's a, it's a, a, a Black TikTok, this is the title that was put on it. Black TikTok uh, creator Savannah Edwards argues against reparations in a viral video. And this is a uh, hat tip to Fox News. So let's give this a listen real quick. TikTok creator going viral for a video that picks apart the argument for reparations. Listen. I'm seeing a lot of talk about reparations on TikTok. It's 2021. How are we to determine who gets reparations and who doesn't? Reparations as a first step to healing? Mm -mm. The first step to healing is forgiveness. That video has been viewed over 100,000 times. And joining me now to discuss is the woman who posted it, Savannah Edwards. Savannah, thanks for being here. Why did you choose to make this video? Why did I choose to make this video? Um, it was kind of heartbreaking to me to see so many people think that in order for us to receive any kind of healing from the past, that we needed financial compensation from the government. Okay. So I just wanted to speak out on that. 
one of the common refrains in support of reparations was articulated by one Tulsa pastor who writes, quote, I think we cannot have true reconciliation and healing without reparations. Reparations are a biblical form of reconciliation and healing. I just hope that our elected officials have the courage to do what they know I feel is right. What's a better alternative to reparations in your estimation? Again, you're a follower of Christ. This pastor is a follower of Christ. I think as a pastor, you're responsible for your flock, your congregation. Your job is to preach the word of God to them. And if you're not preaching that forgiveness is the first step to any kind of healing, you're leading your flock astray. So before we even talk about forcing people who weren't even alive back then to pay for the sins of the dead, we need to start taking care of our own healing. And the first step to that is forgiveness. In response to your TikTok, one TikTok user commented the following, why should I forgive them for the way they look down and continue to look down on my people? Again, continuing with this concept of forgiveness. What's your response? People are gonna say all kinds of things about you. You can't control what other people do. You can't control what other people say. You can only control your response. The only person you have control over is you. No one else is responsible for your healing. You have to take those first steps. And as unfair as that may sound, that's just the truth. Along these lines, you also have stated that you do not support critical race theory. Why? I understand the intention behind critical race theory, the intent to want to teach our young people about racism and how it has affected our society. But I think what it does is it teaches white kids that they're inherently superior and they should feel bad about it. And it teaches young black children that they're inherently disadvantaged. And I think the last thing the black community needs right now is for children to grow up thinking they're disadvantaged. That just sets us all backwards. Savannah Edwards, look, I think we'd all be naive to think that there is not racism in this world, but I find your perspective on all of this absolutely fascinating. It's gonna be interesting to see where our society goes. Do they follow Savannah Edwards or do they follow critical race theory? We will see. And we'll have you back. Savannah Edwards, thank you very much. Thank you. And I think Savannah Edwards hit the nail right on the head about forgiveness. I mean, in all these protests about reparations and that, I've never heard anybody just say, look, what's, what's in the past is the past. Let's just forgive and move on. That'd be the Christian thing to do, forgive and move on. Now, we have a second clip here, and this is the one I shake my head at. This is a Cheyenne uh, Devon from CNBC business show called Changing the Narrative and talking about reparations, and she'll introduce the two speakers uh, here. And it's amazing how learned people can be so naive about economics and, and, and uh, where the money's coming from. And the whole argument of, in my opinion, the whole argument of reparations. So let's give them a, a real quick listen here. Today, I'll be talking to Duke University professor William Darity and his partner, Kirsten Mullen, about the racial wealth gap between African Americans and white Americans and how reparations to African Americans could help close it. He co-authored his most recent book titled, From Here to Equality, Reparations for Black Americans in the 21st Century with Kirsten Mullen. Kirsten is a folklorist and the founder of Artifactual.
who should be financially responsible for paying reparations to Black Americans? So, you know, the federal government must pay this debt. Um, you know, this is the entity that gave itself, you know, the right uh, and the authority to enslave Black Americans uh, and to institute nearly a century of legal segregation. When we're talking about legal segregation, we're not only talking about you know, keeping uh, Black people separate from white people. We're also talking about nearly a century of white terror attacks on Black communities. Um, and these were focused on two different things, suppressing the Black vote um, and also turning a blind eye to the destruction of Black people's property. Uh, and in some cases, actually, you know, uh, the federal government was party to those destructions. So, you know, you're talking about the seizure and appropriation of Black property, um, but the federal government is also the only entity that has the capacity to pay the debt. You all are arguing that the federal government should be footing the bill for these reparations, but does that mean that the cost would ultimately be passed on to the taxpayers? Depends on how you do this. Yeah. Um, Not necessarily. Not, yeah, we we make the point in our in the final chapter of our book that there have been uh, a number of recent instances in which the federal government has made huge expenditures without raising taxes. Uh, and uh, one of those instances is the substantial expenditures the federal government made to, uh, to address the, uh, the health crisis associated with COVID. You don't necessarily have to raise taxes to undertake uh, these massive uh, expenditure projects. However, and, and this is the, the critical caveat, uh, you do have to be concerned about the inflationary effects of these types of projects. And what we suggest in From Here to Equality is that there are two major steps that could be taken to minimize the inflation risk. One of those steps is to spread the payment of the $14 trillion out over uh, several years. We, we recommend no more than, no more than 10 years or a decade, but that would reduce the amount of annual expenditure that would be needed. And then the second thing that could be done to minimize the inflation risk is to provide people with uh, these funds in the form of an asset that is somewhat different from a direct cash transfer, something that's less liquid, that they cannot spend entirely all at one time. Uh, and so this could include uh, giving them reparations in the form of an annuity or a trust account or some type of an endowment uh, where there were limitations on the the uh, the amount that could be spent at each at each moment, folks. I, I'm just <laughs> I am just flabbergasted about that response. Now the the lady, her name is A. Kirsten Mullen, and she blames the federal government for slavery. Um, excuse me, it was not the federal government that instituted slavery, brought it here at all. It was the states, the southern states, okay? And, and to say the federal government should pay because they're the only entity that's able to is another fallacy because they're talking $14 trillion, folks. That's almost half of the national debt now. So they're wanting to add another 
$14 trillion to $30 trillion debt to pay reparations to a government, for, for a government to pay this that wasn't even involved in it. Okay. That's a misnomer. That, that, that is flat out wrong. Uh, that's a, that's a fallacy on her part. And, and this William Darity, Darity or Darity, um, you know, oh, well, we can put it in annuities, you know, but it shouldn't be, shouldn't go no more 10 years paying this $14 trillion out. And it's just, these people have, don't have an economic clue whatsoever when it comes to reparations or paying out these reparations. Now, um, I want to get into, uh, before I get to my last uh, one, my last video, I want to get into the, um, the California article um, make sure I got, okay. I got everything set up here. Okay. The, the, the California article here, um, is, let me get over to it real quick. From wealth taxes to $14 million in federal funds, reparation rhetoric moves forward. And this is by Kevin Haggerty over at BizPack Review. Um, progressive legislatures, Legislators across the country are introducing various forms of wealth taxes in their Marxist quest for equality and race hustlers want a piece of the action, advancing their goal of reparations to the tune of $14 trillion. Sounds, sound economics appear to be of little concern to activists determined to get benefits and payouts for atrocities committed against black slaves in generations past as California reparations panel proposed even more taxes to achieve their ends. The, the panel's chair, uh, Kamala Moore shared a market watch article over the weekend that referred to the money of wealthy people as stolen, which are with pitches on how to draw in revenue to attempt to award no less than $223,000 per black resident of the Golden State. One of their suggestions for source of money for rep reparations is a state is a state estate tax. Under federal law, the lifetime estate tax exemption is $12.9 million for individuals this year. Uh, their other suggestion included a mansion tax, a graduated property tax, uh, she tweeted, and the article went on to state, which she acknowledged may not be like, uh, likely in California because Proposition 13 tax properties based on their value when they were sold or even a tax on the fledgling metaverse. And it goes on and on and on down through. talks about uh, uh, Ms. Mullen and, and Mr. Darty and uh, how the federal government must assume this debt and uh, just and and, and uh, Darty also went on to say, well, you know, we we put all that, that two trillion dollars in stimulus out, and we just printed the money, so we don't really have to tax anybody. Well, <laughs> printing money to that level causes inflation, which is another word for poor person's tax. So you you are adding a tax to the poor people in higher expenses. Okay, that's that's just. That's just the truth of the matter. You're you're actually, um, you're actually going about it the wrong way. You you really are. And to say that the the taxes, and I'm just getting back over here, um, and putting another article up. Um, to say that the taxes aren't 
aren't being used. Well, who, where did the money come from to pay the interest on the 30 trillion, or if they want to add a 14 trillion to the debt, you know, $44 trillion, where do they think that money comes from? Well, it comes from taxes. They, they, we have income taxes, we have other taxes, but a lot of it comes from income tax. And so our money is going to that. So tax money is still going, going to be involved in it some way or another. And just off the top of my head, folks, being economically literate the way I am, the country cannot afford, we absolutely cannot afford another $14 trillion in debt. And there's just no way. And to say that, and again, I want to reiterate that, for Ms. Mullen to say that it's the federal government is the only entity that can do it, and the reason why is because they're responsible for slavery is just a flat-out lie. History does not support that at all. Now, before, I got a clip from Larry Elder and, and Thomas Sowell, but I want, to, I want to sort of end the show with that clip, and I, I, I need to go over this real quick with you. There's this article here. Reparations are biblical by uh, Thabeti Anyabwile. Anyabwile, Anyab I believe is how you pronounce it. I actually, I actually looked it up and listened to it a couple times, split the word of Anyabwile, uh, uh, Thabeti. And he's a, he's a preacher um, out in, um, oh, let me, I, let me get down to his bio real quick here. Uh, he's a pastor at the Anacosta River Church in southwest Washington, D.C., and he's got several books out. He's got a wife and a couple kids. He went to, uh, he's got a, I guess, master's in seminary at North Carolina State University. Um, so he's learned and he talks about the tax, he talks about the Bible, you know, how, how reparations are biblical. Um, I just want to go, I just want to go through a couple of these uh, with you. And let me get over to this one now. Um, all right. Restitution is biblical. Restitution, uh, reparations, he used them interchangeably. Um, there is disagreement about whether the whether to emphasize the individual or groups or whether repayment for the estimated cost in today's dollars is feasible, but no one I know rejects uh, restitution in principle. And he uses, and I, we'll go over these quick, Exodus chapters 21 through 22, Leviticus 5, uh, Luke 19, 1 and 10, um, Number two, second point he wants to make is a grievous wrong was done in the American practice of, of slavery. There's no question about that. There's no question about that. But who is responsible? You know, who is responsible? It was the Confederate States. Okay. Third, reparations are owed at some point. And this is a good point here. Even many of the opponents of reparations in today's context will allow that reparations should have been paid to the generation of freed persons following the Civil War. Some would even cite Special Field Order 15 and argue that it had, if it had been followed, then we would not be in the predicament we are in today. However, after the, that generation of African-American freedmen uh, agreement on reparations break, broke down. And I talked about that a little bit in my opening monologue. It wasn't that the federal government was 
you know, um, okay with, you know, the, the, the land being taken back because it was an order. But at the time, the United States still practiced, practiced federalism. Okay, and the, the federal government at the time was very loath to get involved in state, in individual state issues. And so the states are responsible. So, you, you know, North Carolina, or excuse me, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Okay, so if you're going to blame a government for the, taking back the reparations that uh, Sherman was told to give, the 40 acres and a the mule, they call it, then you need to go after those three states, not the federal government. Okay, put the blame on who, who the blame should go to. And he goes on to talk about the objections. I've already covered some of those objections. Um, uh, make one person or group who committed no crime pay for the crimes of others. Uh, pay one person or group uh, who were not directly injured by the crime restitution own, owed to those actually suffered and then taxed today's citizens. And we talked about that. Um but I want to get back to the uh, uh, where he was talking about um, the biblical part of this, okay? And I want to, I want to, and this look, I went through and read them, seeing what they were, what it was all about, okay? And the um, first set of uh, he was talking about Exodus chapter twenty-one and twenty-two, and I went through there, and it talks about restitution for other things other than slavery, but the. Exodus 21 verses 1 through 11 actually deals with slave and slave owners. And the slave this it was directed at the slave owners and how they treated them. Uh, this is talked about at, on an individual, not the nation. You know, because of one individual doing something, the nation didn't have to pay for it. That individual had to had to make good on it, had had to do the restitution or the reparations. Same way with Leviticus chapter 5. Again, this is talking about an individual, not the nation. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. This is another one, uh, this pastor, um, I'm loath to use that term, but um, that he uses. And this is talking about Zacharias, the tax collector. Once again, this is talking about an individual, not a nation, where he said, I'll make good. You know, I'll give half what I own to the poor, and if I've wronged anybody... I'll make it good. You know, I'm just sort of, that's Dan's paraphrase of it. And then he goes over and he talks about, well, here's the national one. You know, this is the one that, that, that cements the whole thing. He's talking about the building of the temple. Uh, this, the second time the temple was built, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra and uh, Zerubbabel. And, and he goes back into, in Ezra chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, and talks about, the reparation or the, uh, yeah, about how the temple is going to be built. And then he goes on um, to verse six. And this is, this is key in this whole thing. It talks about how, uh, how King Darius was, you know, going to give money for and, and supplies and everything for uh, the temple of God to be rebuilt. And I just want you to see, I just want you to see this, this passage here. Um, Cause I, like I said, I think this is key. It says, verse 8, Ezra chapter 6, verse 8, Moreover, I issue a decree, and this is King Darius, concerning what you are to do for the elders of Judah in the rebuilding of the house of God. The full cost is to be paid to these people from the royal treasury out of the taxes of the provinces. 
be on the river and that without delay. This money was not going to go to individuals. That wasn't its purpose. That money that was taken out of the treasury was going to go to rebuild the house of God. So like I said, I, I believe this, this man, although he may be well-intentioned, he's reading into the scriptures. What he wants them to say, so, you know, this reparations thing can get off the ground. So, uh, no, you, you can't say the reparations are biblical on a national level like what we're trying to do. That, you know, $14 trillion to be paid out, $223,000 per person in California? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And there's so many lies being told about everything that's going on here with, with these reparations. And so I sort of want to end the show on this, um, on this video from Larry Elder and um, Thomas Soule. But Thomas Soule had a lot to say about this, and he's got some videos out, and they're just too long to actually even cut up. Uh, but Larry Elder has a really good um, cut of Tom uh, Thomas Soul in this, but this is from the Larry Elder Show on the Epoch Times. You know, one of the reasons I believe that the reparations movement has gained steam is because so many people believe that Africans were quote unquote kidnapped out of Africa. Now, recall when Ben Carson became the HUD secretary and said this about slaves versus immigrants land of dreams and opportunity. There were other immigrants who came here in the bottom of slave ships, worked even longer, even harder for less. Now, then President Obama said almost exactly the same thing. Life in America was not always easy. It wasn't always easy for new immigrants. Certainly it wasn't easy for those of African heritage who had not come here voluntarily and yet in their own way were immigrants themselves. Now Carson got hammered. He's insensitive, doesn't understand the difference between a slave and an immigrant. And of course, the kidnap thing in particular. Now, Obama didn't get hammered because Obama's a Democrat. You know how that rolls. But as to Carson and the kidnapped angle, here's what one critic said. Quote, immigrants booked passage and came to these shores in steerage, enduring heat, stench, and cramped conditions in hopes of better lives in America. Slaves were kidnapped and came to these shores shackled, lying cheek to cheek in their own body waste." End of quote. Kidnapped? And writing for the 1619 New York Times project, Nicole Hannah-Jones said the same thing. Quote, in August 1619, just 12 years after the English settled Jamestown, Virginia, one year before the Puritans landed at Plymouth Rock, and some 157 years before the English colonists even decided they wanted to form their own country, the Jamestown colonists bought 20 to 30 enslaved Africans from English pirates. The pirates had stolen them from a Portuguese slave ship that had forcibly taken them from what is now the country of Angola. So far, so accurate, but these men and women who came ashore on that August day were the beginning of American slavery. They were among the 12.5 million Africans who would be kidnapped 
from their homes and brought in chains across the Atlantic Ocean. 12.5 million Africans kidnapped? You see, this kidnap narrative was made popular by the 1970s miniseries Roots, in which the protagonist, Kunta Kinte, was kidnapped by a raid led by a white man. The inconvenient truth is that most black slaves taken out of Africa were captured in war and were sold to European and Arab slavers by African chieftains, or they were captured in raids conducted by black profit seekers and then sold to European and Arab slavers. This is what a Nigerian novelist wrote about her father telling her a story about her great-grandfather. Here's what she said, quote, records from the transatlantic slave trade database directed by historian David Eltis at Emory University showed that the majority of captives brought to the U.S. came from Senegal, Gambia, Congo, and eastern Nigeria. Europeans oversaw this brutal traffic in human cargo, but they had many local collaborators. The organization of the slave trade was structured to have the Europeans stay along the coastlines, relying on African middlemen and merchants to bring slaves to them, said Toyin Falola, a Nigerian professor of African studies at the University of Texas at Austin. The Europeans couldn't have gone into the interior to get the slaves themselves. The anguished debate over slavery in the U.S. is often silent on the role that Africans played. That silence is echoed in many African countries where there is hardly any national discussion or acknowledgement of this issue, end of quote. And this is from PRI, Public Radio International. There is a willful amnesia about the roles that we played in the slave trade, said Nat Amarte Filio a local historian who's also a former mayor of Accra, Ghana's capital. The Europeans weren't going out and capturing Africans. They couldn't. They got sick and died from illnesses like malaria. Some African ethnic groups went into business warring with other groups so they could capture prisoners they sold as slaves to the Europeans. Amarta Filio says they were organized and intentional about it. To pursue slavery successfully, you need a highly organized group because somebody has to go out there, somebody has to locate the victims, somebody has to lead an army there, somebody has to capture them, transport them to the selling centers all the time, keeping an eye on them to make sure they don't revolt, and then sell them and move on, end of quote. This same Nigerian writer also wrote this for the BBC, quote, my great-grandfather, forgive me for not trying to pronounce his name, was what I prefer to call a businessman. From the Igbo ethnic group of southeastern Nigeria, he dealt in a number of goods, including tobacco and palm produce. He also sold human beings. He had agents who captured slaves from different places and brought them to him, my father told me. But get this, after this story, her father believes that his grandfather, her great-grandfather, ought not be judged by the standards of today because back in that time, slavery was commonplace 
all around the world and nobody had any moral objection to it, not really. And Africans didn't think of themselves as one common people. They thought of themselves as separate people, as separate nations. Still, my father does not believe that the descendants of those who took part in the slave trade should now pay for those wrongs. As he points out, buying and selling human beings had been part of many African cultures as a form of serfdom long before the first white people landed on our shores, end of quote. And she concedes that judging the past from the prism of today is problematic at best. It would be unfair to judge a 19th century man by 21st century principles. Assessing the people of Africa's past by today's standards would compel us to cast the majority of our heroes as villains, denying us the right to fully celebrate anyone who was not influenced by Western ideology. Igbo slave traders, like my great-grandfather, did not suffer any crisis of social acceptance or legality. They did not need any religious or scientific justifications for their actions. They were simply living the life into which they were raised. That was all they knew, end of quote. So this African writer, whose great-grandfather bought and sold slaves, says, do not judge us by the prism of today's standards, but we're supposed to judge white people who did bad things in the past by the prisons of today's standards and extract money from people who were never slave owners and give it to people who were never slaves? As much as slavery is repudiated around the world today, prior to the 18th century, I know of no serious effort to abolish the institution anywhere. 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 Not in Africa, not in, not oh, in the Arabian not world. Not in Africa in the 21st century. Even in the antebellum South, most whites did not have slaves. The cost of one male adult slave was more than the average white person earned all year. So they weren't all living in terror with, the, with, with their plantations and all the rest right. of it. And what we're looking at is if slavery is something that happened to one race of people in one country, when in fact the, 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 the spread of it was around the world. In, in 1776, which is when Adam Smith published The Wealth of Nation, as mm -hmm. well as when the United States got started, he said that Western Europe is the only place in the world where there is no slavery. And even, in the Western, even the Western Europeans had vast numbers of slaves in the Western in, Hemisphere, yes. but not in Western Europe itself. And so if you're going to have reparations for slavery, it's going to be the greatest transfer of wealth back and forth uh, and, 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 and cross-hauling, as they say in, in the railroads, because the, the number of, of whites, for example, who were enslaved in uh, North Africa by the Barbary pirates exceeded the number of Africans enslaved in the United States and in the American colonies before that put together. I know, but nobody is going to North Africa to ask for reparations because nobody is going to be fool enough to give it to them. Uh, here we have, we have intellectuals who can, who can imagine a different history from the rest of the world, even though it's so similar to the rest of the world. Back to the Nigerian writer. Her father told her, quote, if anyone asks me for reparations, I will tell them to follow me to my backyard so that I can pluck some money from the tree there and give it to them." End of quote. So no reparations, says this writer, from Africa for the involvement in the slave trade by Africans, but there ought to be reparations from Americans for being involved in the slave trade here. 
Can you say double standard? I'm Larry Elder, and we've got a country to save. I'll see you next time. All right, folks, that was, that was a longer clip, but boy, did Larry and, and Tom make some very good points in there, especially about how, how the history is being rewritten and how, uh, like Thomas Sowell said, you know, prior to the 18th century, slavery was worldwide. Doesn't make it right. It just, it was a common practice throughout the whole world. And the, the, uh, the elephant in the room, as it were, is that the slave trade from Africa was being perpetrated by Africans themselves, capturing other Africans and selling them to Arabs and selling them to um, uh, Europeans who transported them over here, the United States. So again, I ask, how are you going to untangle all these? Who's getting paid? Where are the money's coming from? All these, all these issues that, that have to be worked out that in, in this host humble opinion, never going to happen. It's never going to be worked out to the satisfaction of everybody. So in my humble opinion, my Christian opinion is we need to forgive and forget. We need to forgive and forget. My family wasn't involved. There's a lot of immigrants that came to this country after slavery was abolished in this country. Their families weren't involved in slavery. Um, so what, you know, I, on my mom's side, I come from Ireland. My dad's side, we come from Wales, you know, and, you know, it, it, it's ridiculous. It, it, it just, to me, it's, a, it, it's just a, another transfer of wealth from one group to another especially these folks nowadays that, that play the victim. I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, but they play the victim over the um, uh, slave issue and reparations and that, that, you know, I was held back or my family was held back. And so therefore I was held back. And that's just not the case. That is just not the case anymore, folks. Hope you liked this video. Please comment down below. Give me a thumbs up, thumbs down. Please subscribe uh, to the episode. Um, and um, hopefully you enjoyed this. Hopefully you got some information out. Like I said, I put a lot of links in the, in the description below to help you find these things and so you can do some research on your own. And uh, so, like I said, it's a tough, it's a tough issue. It really is. But folks... We've got to put this thing behind us. As a nation, as individuals, we've got to put this thing behind us once and for all. This has been the Dan Clemens Show. I'm your host, Dan Clemens, your constitutional warrior. Remember, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Have a great rest of the day, folks, and we'll see you on the next video.